Julia. Welcome to the Lipstick Files. This is Sarah, and joining me again today is my husband, Jason, because I have no friends. <laughs> How you doing, sweetie? <laughs> sweetie, really, on the podcast? Hello, Sarah. How are you? <laughs> so I figured You're out- supposed what, to call me babe. I figured out what it was. Marty and Bobby Culp, that it's... old couple from SNL, they've got the keyboard. Oh, R-U-L-E. Only God can hold me. <laughs> oh, you know the words. Okay, so right before we started the podcast, Jason was playing, what song was it? Oh, like, Sweet Child of Mine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you sound like Bobby. I do sound yeah, like it. Yeah. A lot of the times I do sing, there, there's an SNL skit from back in the, what, 2000s? 90s? In the 90s, was it? Maybe early Maybe? 2000s. Yeah, yeah and... um. Can you stop with the ice from the drink? It is a loud drink. It's so good, though. <laughs> what is it? It's just a whiskey Coke. Oh, I told you to go up and get a beer and you tr- pour yourself a whiskey Coke? You yeah. said you have to work after this. I know. You're like, can you not drink your water so loud? I'm like, you don't have to worry. It's not water. Oh, man. Someone's getting loosey-goosey. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, seriously. Put the ice down. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> No, so you were playing this song, and then I just kept thinking of this version. I think it's from Pitch Perfect, where they're singing a Sweet Child of Mine, and they're all going... Which hey. one's... Oh, is that the one with the... Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're yeah, right. that's what I was picturing. So I was singing it, and then you pulled up Will Ferrell, and who was the other one? Is it Sherry O'Terry? No. Um... Oh, and they, anyways, they do. Name. They're Whatever. like they go to school assemblies in the SNL skit and like other things, and then they play up to date versions of songs, but super churchy. Yeah. So like, yeah, he's got like an organ and he's singing "Baby Got Back," and they're trying to like make it be like this. Yeah. Keep kids off drugs. Thing. Yeah. 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 God, those were the that was the good SNL. That was right? like my yeah. That was like my favorite for sure. We were just watching it the other day with Jim Carrey. Oh yeah. I thought you were talking about when we were watching In Living Color. Oh. You're talking about <laughs> no. the hot tub? I'm talking about, yeah, when when he was in the, he was the lifeguard in the hot tub. Yeah. And, and then he's Tim like, Meadow comes in and swims laps. Yeah. They he's turn like, the rope. No lap. It's lap time, sir. <laughs> yeah. He's just blowing the whistle. <laughs> I used yeah. to think that one was so funny. Yeah. God, those were the good days. Yeah, I had the Will Ferrell Best Of DVD, <laughs> and we would watch it. What? They have a Will Ferrell Best Of? Yeah. For inc- SNL? Yeah, it was incredible. And that came wow. out like, that came out a long time ago. That was like... He hasn't done any movies recently, has he? Yeah. Well, we did watch, what, Murder Mystery last night. Yeah. With uh, I watched Jennifer at least, Aniston. I watched at least half of it before I fell asleep. Yeah, you watched like three quarters. I was trying to think of what's bigger So than who did it? Quarters. The Italian guy? <laughs> <laughs> Can't give it away okay. on a podcast. It could have been the Italian guy. It could have been the chick. No, yeah, I'm not giving it away, but... I had a problem with Jennifer Aniston's face. Well, with the work she's had done. Yeah. Ugh, that's tough. I They always say women have such a hard time in Hollywood as they age, right? Yeah. And it's kind of like, what do you do? Do you do you get work done or do you not get work done? Yeah, it's like bad, you embrace it and then you're just like the grandma. The thing is, I never saw Jennifer Aniston looking bad at all. She always, did you ever, I mean, granted with pictures, things are edited and stuff, but you didn't see any aging process. Right. It was like nothing. And then all of a sudden now she's got these fillers and she looks You know who weird. looks rough? Have you seen Dan Cook lately? No. He, lo- oh, he looks he like he got young? lumped up, man. He What's lumped up? Like with a baseball bat. Oh, 
Yeah, it's bad. I feel terrible for him. Who was he dating? I was watching something and he was recently on and he was talking about making his comeback into comedy and like how being away for so long is going to help him up because he felt like he had got kind of burned out. But then I had heard that he was stealing jokes from a lot of the comedians and I didn't know that it, at Don't the they time. all do that though? I think so. But he was like specifically stealing jokes almost verbatim. And then a bunch of the comedians didn't like him. And then he was actually on Louis C.K.'s show. Yeah. And that was on before I found out that he was like whipping his dick out in front of women. and Don't say that. Penis. He was whipping no, his don't, penis That's out. even worse. Yeah. <laughs> don't even use the P word. That's disgusting. What? <laughs> I mean, you can say that in like sixth grade. No, there's something I mean, there's gross a class. About, there's something gross about that word. Is there not? Yeah, penis. Yeah, what do you want me to call it? A, a wiener, a dick? Uh, yeah, what? a wiener. I like to say wiener personally. I mean, that's totally like, that really downplays the the whole thing. I don't like it. Either, just like the word poop. Like when you say poop, can you just taste the poop coming off your breath? Like, <laughs> what do you I say? Dump? It. <laughs> I'm going to go take a deuce? What do you say? I don't usually tell anyone that I'm going to I'm going to go to the bathroom. But... <laughs> I have to go wash my hands. <laughs> that's what I say when I... When I go to the store, I usually I'm like, like, my stomach hurts. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> you do that little, that shuffle when you go to the bathroom when I can tell. You do that. <laughs> what shuffle? <laughs> Where, like your feet don't leave the ground. You're just like, <laughs> it's like, it's like. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, that's the, that's the, I got to go to the bathroom really bad walk that you do. <laughs> It's not true. Yeah, I got, the first time I saw it, we were at a pool party in Miami. And all of a sudden, you got up off your, your lounge chair. And all of a sudden, you're like, I'll be right back. And here you are. That was a fun vacation. Like that the, was before we had kids. Yeah, uh, that was like a Calvin Harris pool party. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty wild. Oh, speaking of that, I like when how you've been really stressed out with work. And probably just like life with kids. So his friend had actually called last week and said, hey, do you want to come hang out with me for my birthday? And you said no, because, you know, you've got kids, you got a family, a job. And then I called your friend behind your back and was like, hey. Which was like the coolest thing you've ever done. By I've the done way. stuff Thank like this before. Again. I don't know why you keep acting like I've never done stuff like this before. But anyways, okay. Fine. That's okay. For the record, that's the first time anything like that's ever happened. <laughs> okay, well, maybe I didn't exactly follow through all the way, but okay. I have started. All right. So that was the first I've successful. Started. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so it turned into being like a weekend of golfing, maybe in Arizona, to all of a sudden you're going to Vegas to a Calvin Harris pool party. Yeah. At and then who knows what hotel. And, and then I'm like, are you smokers kidding me? The next day at Club Excess. Well, either way, you guys didn't end up going to Vegas. You went to Florida. Yep. And, and uh, that was a great time. So thank you again. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Are you ready for some celebrity gossip? No. I know you love it. No. <laughs> Why? All right, go ahead. What's wrong with celebrity gossip? I'm a guy. I don't care about that stuff. Okay, so have you heard about the movie that Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt are in together? Yeah, the Quentin Tarantino movie? Yeah. Yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, I want to see that. It looks so good, doesn't it? Yeah. Have you seen the previews? I have. Yeah. It's I'm excited great. for that. Comes out July 26th. So it has a ton of famous people in it. It's got Dakota Fanning, Al Pacino, Damian Lewis, Margot Robbie, Kurt Russell. I guess Lena Dunham is even in it from Girls. Oh, yeah. And it goes, and I guess it was the last, um, well, the, it was the last film that Luke Perry did before he died. Remember what? Yeah. He's in it? Yeah. So, I mean, who isn't really? But what's crazy is that it's, so it's a true story about this guy and his stunt double. 
And everyone keeps thinking that it's about Sharon Tate because she's in the, I mean, Margot Robbie plays her in the movie. Okay. But Margot Robbie is in it and she plays Sharon Tate and then Charles Manson. I keep almost saying Marilyn Manson, (laughs) but Charles Manson, the guy who plays him is in it too. So they, they're in it because they were, they knew them in real life. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that is crazy. It, it's so weird. And all right, so it's not about Charles Manson. It's just like no. a story outside of that, even though yes. they're kind of tied to it. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. That's what's even crazier. It's yeah. about this guy in a stunt double, but then they knew Manson and Sharon Tate, and so like that's kind of in the mix. Okay. It's really creepy. The other thing is that Brad Pitt and Angelina had filed for divorce two and a half years ago, which is so long ago, it seems like, doesn't it? Yeah, it seems like they've been apart for forever. Yeah, Uh, but they were just granted bifurcation, which means that they're legally single again. And then they can still sort out all of their custody stuff and and their financial stuff. And I guess one of the reasons that people do this is so that they can start dating again. Mm. And not, you know, technically be married kind of thing. And then also for tax purposes and stuff. Does it make it still illegal for her to be with her brother? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. I think that's illegal no matter where you go. I didn't know if that was part of the rule or... (laughs) Do you know who Lori Laughlin is? Rebecca from... It's Rebecca, right? From Full House? Yeah. Okay, Rebecca. Yeah, John Stamos' girl. Yep. Yep. (laughs) His girl. (laughs) Well... She continues to maintain her innocence in the college admission scandal. Do you know who her husband is? Didn't you tell me he was like a super rich guy? I don't know how much money they have. They've got to be, I would think, well, at least was it like a clothing line that he owns or something. Yeah, he he owns Massimo, and they used to sell it at Target. What's crazy is that they pled not guilty, and you know Felicity Huffman. Yeah, she's the other one, the other celebrity that's involved. So she actually did plead guilty and she's admitted to everything. But Rebecca from Full House is maintaining her innocence. Isn't that crazy? I don't really think, does this scandal seem that big of a deal? I honestly, I don't even care in the sense that it's like, I just assumed that everybody that was rich was paying to have their kids get into college. I know. Well, People Magazine is like her fall from grace, like all dramatic, like the biggest scandal, you know, in the world or whatever. And it's like, really? Like if anything, hey, I guess you care enough about your kids going to college that you're willing to spend that amount of money to get them in. Like, I'm not that upset about it. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I mean, it's wrong. It's illegal. I mean, it sucks because it takes the spot of a kid that deserves it. So that part of it makes you feel bad. That's true. But then, you know, there's schools like Yale that are like, yeah, we'd love to have James Franco here because he's James Franco. (laughs) So he shows up and they give him a degree just because he's James Franco. He didn't deserve to get in there. so interesting, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, He's like a poet- wasn't he on a soap opera two years ago after he was like a movie star? Like just the weirdest yeah, stuff. Yeah, he just like crazy stuff. He just seems yeah. like the guy that's like, if you're like seeing him at a party, you're like, hey, you want to come back to General Hospital? He's like, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I've smoked enough weed. The to guy be who like, can't yeah. say no to a project. Yeah. And people are just so upset. They're like shocked. Like, and then they pretended that they were on the rowing team, but they don't even know how to row. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. Like, where have you been? Yeah. This shit happens all the time. Yeah. If you can believe it, it's been 25 years since OJ got away with murder. It's been 25 years. 25 years. That's how old we are. And now they're bringing the Bronco back, baby. This whole story is so crazy. I mean, it really is to think that this guy got away with it. Well, I mean. I mean, there was a lot going on in the country then. And I, I could see how, especially if you haven't had a chance to watch 
uh, what was it, the 30 for 30? Yeah, that was even better than the People versus OJ. That was was really good. I would watch that again. I'd watch that with you. I'd watch it again. It's, it's, but I will say there's a really disturbing part where they actually show uh, Nicole Brown Simpson in the morgue. And it is, it's, it's one of the worst things I've ever seen. Did you hear about that story about OJ hooking up with Kris Jenner? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess there was. Well, that's, that's been going around for a long time. Yeah, I so, think even on one of their episodes, they like did like a DNA test or something with Chloe. Cause they was, did a DNA test? That's, that's what it said, yeah. they. I mean, you know, the Kardashians is also fake. I don't know if they follow through with some of the Because that had come out because the guy that he had just written a book about the whole OJ situation. And that that was something that was told to him by OJ. That, oh yeah, I hooked up with her. And then he oh. said... Oh yes, I remember. That night, because he's in doubt, I guess so large and that was the story is that he's bragging about his manhood is that it hurt her and that she had to go to the doctor that night and she asked oj to do it and he's like no make make bobby take you to the hospital so she had to go because she was like hurting and he okay. wrote it well, oj's a freak i mean he's a psycho do you think that he has that thing where you you know how all those football players Oh, you think he's got CTE? Maybe he does. Yeah. There's been the argument made that he could have had concussions. And he was a running back, too. Because he seems, like, so so nice and charming. I mean, not so much anymore, but he used to. Not that he couldn't be a psycho, but who knows? Man, if you look at the guys that have committed violence in the NFL, guys like Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson and uh, the guy that was from Kansas City that just got cut, it's almost always the running backs for whatever reason that are committing these crimes. Mm. And a lot of times it's against women. Yeah. And it's weird. Weird. That is weird. And you don't know if it's like something that they had uh, trouble growing up in respect their parents or whatever it is. But you have to think of like the role of the running back. There's something about being willing to like take that kind of hit over and over again, Mm -hmm. where it's almost like you're punishing yourself. But you're like angry about it at the same time. It takes like a special kind of person. And then you see these guys where, you know, they're out drinking or whatever and they just lose it. They go like in a place that most people never go. And you just wonder if it's the same with OJ. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Jason. I'm going to get into my true crime if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. That's why I'm putting on my true crime. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's hear it. All right. Thirty-year-old Eric Miller seemed to have it all. A loving wife, a beautiful daughter who was about to turn one, and a prestigious career as a pediatric AIDS researcher. He'd grown up in Indiana, but after college, moved to Raleigh, North Carolina to settle down and buy a house with his new wife, Anne. She was a chemist at a large pharmaceutical company, and she was as pretty as she was smart. The couple had met in college, and Anne felt like she had met the man of her dreams. In mid-November 2000, Eric went out for a much-needed guy's night. He and three of his wife's co-workers went out for beer and bowling. He actually had a lot in common with her co-workers because they were all scientists. Everyone was enjoying the time relaxing when all of a sudden Eric started to feel sick. He left the bowling alley and by the time he got home, he was violently ill. His wife Anne immediately took him to the hospital where he continued to throw up and writhe in pain. He was having severe stomach cramping, diarrhea, and of course the vomiting. 
Tests were conducted and Eric stayed in the hospital for over a week. Slowly, he started to feel better and was cleared to go home. And I guess they were just assuming that this was some kind of really bad flu. Family and friends were happy to have him home, but it was short-lived because six days later, Eric was admitted to the hospital again with the same symptoms. Eric's sister said that watching her brother in the amount of pain that he was in was excruciating. The hospital continued to run tests, and Eric and his family were surprised to learn that there were actually high levels of arsenic found in his system. They were shocked. Police arrive at the hospital to ask Eric questions about where he could have been poisoned, and he doesn't know. Maybe at work, because he worked in a research lab, but that was really the only thing that he could think of at the time. Within hours, Eric Miller was dead. Detectives needed to find out where the arsenic came from, so first they decide to search the Miller residence. They take samples of shampoos, soaps, anything they can find. Next, they search his lab for anything that could have poisoned him. Could something have accidentally fallen into his lunch? Doesn't seem likely, but the medical examiner finally determines that this was no accident. The high levels of arsenic found in his body were definitely intentional. Maybe Eric had a jealous coworker that wanted him out of the picture. They also search Eric's wife Anne's lab, as she could have possibly had some kind of access to arsenic or other chemicals. Anne confides to a friend that she's nervous that detectives will assume that it was her that poisoned Eric because, let's just be honest, most of the time it is the spouse. She's worried that the investigators will make a rush to judgment and think that she was involved in Eric's death. Anne loved Eric. Eric's family knew that. Plus, she wasn't even with Eric the night that he initially got sick. So Anne thinks it's best to obtain an attorney right away, just in case. And she didn't just hire any attorney. She hired a very prominent attorney in Raleigh. Detectives start talking to everyone that knew Eric to find out who could have had a motive to kill him. They talked to the men that were with him at the bowling alley the night that he first got sick and had to go to the hospital. It's mentioned that one of the men, a man named Daryl Willard, had served Eric a beer, and Eric made a comment that the beer tasted weird and that maybe it had gone bad. An hour later, Eric was sick. After further digging, it seemed like some people thought that this Daryl guy who had served the beer to Eric had some kind of infatuation with Anne even though he himself had a wife and a young child. Daryl was a biochemist who worked with Anne and could possibly have access to arsenic. Between his supposed infatuation with Anne and the comment Eric had made about the bad beer, investigators believe they may be onto something. Daryl wasn't making it easy for detectives. He wasn't returning any of the investigators' phone calls, and when Daryl's phone records are looked into, it turns out there were exchanges and phone calls every single day between Daryl and Anne. There was even a phone call at 4.30 in the morning, making it seem further from like a work relationship and closer to an affair. Then, investigators find out that the pair had told their spouses that they had to go on a business trip to Chicago, but really they checked into the Ritz-Carlton for two days and ordered room service. Email exchanges between the two revealed love notes sent to each other. One read, I never want to stop making you feel. I want to show you things. I want to touch you in places that you know not existed. That was from Anne. (laughs) Within 24 hours of receiving that email, Eric had been served the beer by Daryl. Did Daryl attempt to kill Eric? If so, did he act alone or was Anne involved? Eric's family now recollects that when Eric came home from the hospital the first time around, they had brought dinner for the two. 
The family decided to leave the couple to give them some time alone together. But shortly after Eric ate the meal, he got violently ill again and went back to the hospital. Investigators want to talk to Anne, but she's avoiding but she's avoiding them and by now had retained the most expensive attorneys that money could buy. The Miller family still could not even fathom that Anne could be involved in Eric's death. So they continued to spend the holidays together and they even got together for Anne and Eric's daughter's birthday. She was turning one. But the detectives show up unannounced and in front of the entire family start questioning her about her affair with Daryl. Anne ran upstairs and hid in a closet and sobbed, and the family was stunned. And I would have been stunned because a grown woman is running upstairs and hiding in a closet, but that's just me. On the other side of town, investigators were also knocking on the door of Daryl Willard. He looked really rough like he hadn't slept, super stressed, and he said that he needed to talk to a lawyer. He also mentioned that Anne had done a good job of using him. Daryl's wife, Yvette, had her suspicions about her husband's affair. He had been in kind of a funk for a while, but when he met Anne, he seemed to light back up. He started to work out, dress better, just take better care of himself, and just, I guess, was happy again. So when Daryl went to Chicago for that, in quotes, business trip, his wife, Yvette, knew what was going on. She knew that he was going to meet with Anne. But when asked about it, but when investigators asked her why she didn't say anything to him, she just didn't want to face reality. So she never said anything. But then, after Eric's murder, they finally talk about it. Yvette and Daryl sat down and Daryl told her that he didn't think he loved her anymore and that he had been having an affair with Anne. He also told his wife that he was not involved in Eric's murder. And honestly, Yvette really didn't believe that he could possibly hurt somebody like that, even though he had had an affair that's completely different than murdering somebody. He also confided in his wife that he was on the verge of a breakdown. He knew all of this was going to be on the news, and the police actually came to search their house the next day. And after the search, a vet came home and she found Daryl in the garage with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head and a suicide note that explained that his family would be better off without him. And he maintained his innocence in that note as well. He said that he had no involvement in Eric's death at all. Finally, Eric's autopsy report comes back. It was eye-opening. Not only did it reveal that the fatal dose of arsenic given to Eric was given in the hospital most likely through an IV, which really creeps me out because I'm just thinking like in the movies where the killer comes back to get you and then sneaks in pretending to be a doctor or a nurse and then puts it in your IV. But that's what happened to him. DNA tests from his hair show that arsenic was being given to Eric for months before this, even before Anne and Daryl, even before Anne and Daryl had started seeing each other. Because you really need to be close to the person that you're giving arsenic to because you're putting it in their drinks and their food. There's only one person who really could have killed Eric and it was his twisted wife, Anne. Investigators believe that Anne was giving Eric small doses of the poison to try and kind of like test it out. And then when she was ready to kill him, started her affair with Daryl in case something went wrong and she needed someone to take the fall. With no hard evidence, the only thing investigators can do is watch and wait. Anne moves from Raleigh to Wilmington, North Carolina, and Eric's family are scared that this psychopath will kill her one-year-old daughter. 
They wanted to get the CPS involved, but unless Anne was arrested, the baby would be able to stay with Anne. More than a year after Eric's murder, the lead investigator on the case couldn't let it go. He kept rereading the file over and over again, trying to figure something out. He knew it was right in front of him. And finally, he comes across a part where Daryl Willard's attorney told him that he could be charged with murder. And this kind of led the investigator to think, well, what exactly did Daryl tell his attorney? So he calls the attorney and he says, you know, are you going to tell me what Daryl told you? And his attorney basically is like, you know, what? Client attorney privilege. I took an oath. I'm not going to betray him. I know he has passed away, but I'm not going to tell you. So two more years go by, and in the spring of 2004, the courts finally make Daryl's attorney reveal what his client told him. And it's exactly what they needed. Daryl said that he and Anne met in a parking lot after Eric's death and Anne told him while she was sobbing that she killed Eric. She told him that she put a syringe with a substance in it into Eric's IV and killed him. Derek asked her, why did you do it? And she said she didn't know. Which, what do you mean you don't know? He also told his attorney that he had nothing to do with Eric's murder. So finally, after all these years, Anne is arrested and charged with the murder of Eric Miller. Anne accepted a plea deal of 25 years for pleading guilty. She was addressed by Eric's family in court, and the sisters were just yelling and screaming at her as she was sobbing. And they asked her, how could you do this? How could you kill my brother in such a brutal way? And then the other sister is saying, you know, he didn't deserve this. Why didn't you just divorce him? And it's like, well, because she's not normal. That's what a normal person would do. She is scheduled for release in 2029, which is in 10 years, so I guess she'll be 59 years old. And here's my question. She has to be a true psychopath, right? Apparently, she was emailing some other guy while all this is happening. She's got another guy in California that she's emailing. Oh, and by the way, she did remarry within this like two, three years. She got married again. And then another thing is while Eric was in the hospital dying, she spent the day at the salon getting her hair done. And I mean, I know I've got some clients that won't miss their hair appointment, but if your husband is in the hospital dying, I think that's a time that you're probably going to skip, right? And then I'm just thinking like, hmm... How weird for that hairstylist to look back and be like, oh my gosh, this psycho was killing her husband in the hospital. And then she comes to get her hair done and she's like, I guess she was telling him that she needed a fresh look. It's like, hmm, okay. And then when she got home from the hospital, she was not really, I mean, she was cleaning up everything. I'm assuming she was getting rid of evidence, but the family was saying that she was throwing everything out, which was so weird to them. You know, throwing out towels, throwing out anything, his clothes that he'd gotten sick in. I guess hindsight's twenty twenty when you look back and you're, you think of all the things that she was trying to cover up. Oh, and then another thing that she was trying to cover up or that she did cover up was that the family did not want him to be cremated at all and she fought and fought and fought for it I think I could be wrong but he may even have wished to be cremated as well and so it was something like that where she was going against what everyone was saying but somehow she got her way and he got cremated so that was another way where they couldn't like exhume the body or anything like that so this is just a really creepy story where you just hope you married the right person all right until next time 